Friends, as Jonah, as as Jonah, (laughs) as Tim mentioned, uh, we read the first few verses of chapter one and we read the first few verses of chapter three, because what we see in Jonah as we've gone through, we've gone through this this story of a prophet who hears the word of the Lord. And instead of responding like we know prophets ought to respond, he responds instead like a rebel and flees from the presence of the Lord. And we saw him flee all the way down into the belly of a ship and then go out into the sea in that ship. And then the Lord hurl wind against him and storms in judgment. And as the people in the ship, the sailors got concerned and worried, we saw them actually cry out to the Lord even before Jonah did and tell him he ought to pray and ask his God for mercy. And then we saw the Lord call out Jonah and expose him. As God pursued this rebel with his merciful judgment, we saw that that judgment exposed Jonah's rebellion and called it to account. And that part of that judgment was that Jonah was cast into the sea. And last week we saw Jonah as he sank down and down and down. And the Lord brought him into the depths of the sea and then caused a great fish to swallow him up. And brought him into the depths of that fish. And Jonah even talked about himself being in the depths of Sheol. As God brought him down, down, and down. We saw that the Lord brought him down in order to hear his prayer and raise him up. So that Jonah himself might know that salvation belongs to the Lord. We've seen this whole kind of plot going along. And now we come to chapter 3 and it's almost like a reset button is hit. It's like, let's try this again. Let's do this again, what we've been doing, and let's see if we can get different results. I wanted us to be able to hear how much parallelism there is between chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. That's intentional on the part of the author of Jonah to divide the book essentially into two halves. Because what Jonah is going to do now is he's going to follow the command of the Lord, and he's going to go down, not into the belly of a fish, But he's going to go down into the heart of the city of Nineveh, which we know from what we've talked about about Nineveh is just as dangerous for a prophet of the Lord to go into the belly of Nineveh and proclaim salvation belongs to the Lord. Repent, change your ways. But we're going to see a surprising twist that it's, again, these pagan Gentile people that Jonah comes into contact with that as he proclaims the name of the Lord, come to belief, come to repentance and turn from their evil and wicked ways. And we're going to see how Jonah handles that, just like we did in the first half of Jonah. But before we get there, I thought it would be good to spend a Sunday meditating on these three verses of transition. It's kind of a short section to meditate on, but I think we can gain much if we don't skip quickly over these and get to the rest of the story. But if we think about why God inspired the author of Jonah to say, it this way in the first place and then say it slightly differently in chapter three and what we can learn by asking the questions what is the same and what is different about these texts and i think one of the things we'll see as we look through this and the main thing i want us to contemplate this morning is the differences that we see between chapter one and chapter three in jonah what god is doing differently and what's happening in jonah's heart shows us how god works in the heart of his people particularly in the hearts of his rebellious people. And so I want us to see that this morning because I think it provides encouragement to us as saints. If you know Christ and are in Christ, this text this morning can provide you encouragement with how God works in the hearts of his people. And if you don't know Christ, 
This text this morning can show you the the crazy, miraculous way God works in the hearts of his people and put that on display. It's so different from anything you or I would do if we were in charge of fixing Jonah. And so this morning, I want us to gain encouragement and hope from that as we walk through this text. What we're going to see is we're going to see first the unbelievable grace of God towards Jonah. And then we're going to see the unchanging plan of God, that even though Jonah screws everything up, God's plan is still not changed. And then we're going to see the unfinished work of God that's both being completed in Jonah and still yet to be complete. So we're going to walk through these three verses in that order. Let's take a look first at verse one. I'm going to read it again for us. Chapter three, verse one of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. It's easy to skip these verses and to think, okay, so what? Right? But think about how it compares. The word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time in chapter two or chapter three, excuse me. You might not think that's that drastic, but friends, this is crazy. The word of the Lord comes to second times. It comes to prophets second times for one reason. They've been faithful the first time. The word of the Lord does not come to unfaithful prophets a second time. We see in 1 Kings 13, there's this story of a prophet sent to Jeroboam to essentially warn him that Josiah is going to rise up. That God is going to raise up a new righteous king and replace him because he's been unrighteous and wicked. And this prophet is sent to warn him and told, when you go, give your message And then come back to Judah. Don't eat anything or drink anything on the way. And this prophet comes along. He's going back. He delivered his message. Everything's going good. And then another prophet comes and says, hey, come and eat with me. And he says, no, I can't. The Lord has told me not to. And this other prophet lies and says, well, no, God said it's okay. You can come. And so the prophet comes and enters his house and eats with him. And then in the middle of dinner, God takes over this prophet who had lied and and rebukes this prophet who had up to then been faithful. And then he goes from the house and is eaten by a lion. That's what God does to his disobedient prophets. James 3 talks about not many of us aspiring to be teachers because we will be held to a stricter judgment. That's the norm in the scriptures over and over again. So the fact that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time is massive. And it's easy to miss over because we just read it, right? We take it for granted. Of course, God is gracious. He's going to give Jonah a second chance. Ah, That second chance is not guaranteed. If we pause to look at it, we see how scandalous this grace is. It's unexpected because prophets don't get a second chance. Not only that, though, but even if we think about the story of Jonah so far, it's undeserved, right? What has Jonah been doing the whole time? Fleeing from the presence of the Lord, refusing to obey the commands of the Lord. Jonah is a rebel, a traitor against God and his kingdom. Worldly kings, what do we do with traitors? You execute them, right? But God is merciful to Jonah. He shows grace to him that is undeserved. Even though Jonah knows more about Yahweh than any of the people he's sent to talk to, And therefore, with more knowledge, ought to come more responsibility to obey, right? Jonah doesn't and deserves death, but God instead sends his word to him a second time. 
This is unexpected. This is undeserved. Notice, though, it doesn't say it doesn't say God sent his word to Jonah a second time. And then God says, you know, Jonah, I know you screwed up the first time, but we're going to try this again. And I, I, I hope you do better this time. Right. Like, that's how the second time I would send a word to my kids would be right. Like, I know you screwed up this time and I'm going to give you another chance, but don't do it again. That's not what God does to Jonah. God's grace that comes to Jonah is, un- is unbegrudging of Jonah's past failures. God doesn't bring this up. Like we read in Psalm 103 this morning in our, in, our, in our liturgy, God takes what Jonah has done and removes it as far as the east is from the west. God takes and removes Jonah's iniquities from him and doesn't bring up this past, but instead the word of the Lord just comes to him again. It's hard for us to imagine because we are not used to having prophets among us like they did in the Old Testament days. It's hard for us to imagine how crazy it is that a prophet who disobeyed the Lord not only would live, but would be restored to prophetic ministry. Because the word of the Lord coming to Jonah again, this is a calling text again. God is again taking this rebellious man who chose to disobey him and he is again commissioning him as a prophet to Nineveh. Not only was Jonah rescued from the belly of the fish and spit out back on dry land, we would think that's pretty good, right? But God has not only taken him there, but he's now come to him again and calling him to go to Nineveh. God's grace towards Jonah is lavish. It's scandalous grace as he gives this second chance. It's like nothing we could ever imagine or hope for, and it's like nothing we would ever do. Why does God give this second chance to Jonah? Why does the word of the Lord come again to Jonah? I think it's worth thinking about that for a minute. We're not really told necessarily in the text why the word of the Lord is coming again to Jonah. But we can make some observations, some inferences, based on what we know of the way God works with his people. If you think about it, what was Jonah trying to do when he got into the ship headed for Tarshish? He was trying to, verse 3 says, right of chapter 1, flee from the presence of the Lord. Why was he trying to flee from the presence of the Lord? What precipitated that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, right? So we said, and we talked about at the beginning of our journey through this book, That the word of the Lord coming to Jonah caused him to somewhat reason want to run away from that calling. And the way he chose to run away from that calling was to flee from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah's no dummy. He knows you can't get away from the presence of the Lord. And so we saw, even as he said, cast me into the sea to these sailors in chapter 1, that he may have been trying to still kind of weasel out of the calling to Nineveh right? It's better to be dead, Jonah thought, than to go to preach to these pagan nations. He even says as much in chapter four, when he's talking about how angry he is with God's mercy, he says, yes, it would be better for me to be dead. We don't really necessarily feel that, but that's what Jonah was feeling. And so Jonah may have been trying to manipulate God's judgment even to think God will be merciful to me and forgive me this refusal to follow him. Because I've been faithful up till now. And so if God judges me and I'm dead, then at least I won't have to go to Nineveh. And God's like, no, you can't manipulate me that way. So one of the possible reasons why God might be showing mercy to Jonah is so that he learns that he can't manipulate the judgment of God. Not only that, though. If you think about Jonah's 
calling. His calling is to go to this people, the Assyrians in Nineveh, who are incredibly wicked, incredibly evil, in rebellion against the Lord. They don't even know it, right? But they're in rebellion against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jonah is to go and preach to them. And in order to do that, Jonah needs to learn about what God's mercy is like, right? He needed to learn, like we talked about last week, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And one of the ways he learns that, just like you and I do, is by experiencing it himself, right? We learn by experiencing God's mercy ourselves. So one of the reasons why God is giving Jonah a second chance is to teach him about the character and nature of his own mercy, to teach him that salvation belongs to the Lord. But we've talked about this book is not just about Jonah, right? This book is about Israel. This book is preparing Israel, who's going to go into the pagan nations, such as Babylon, and be there as a missionary for God. Because of their their disobedience, they're going to be exiled. And while they're exiled, they're going to serve the mission of the Lord. And while they're there, they need to know what the grace and mercy of God towards rebellious people looks like. And here we have a picture of it, right? This is the grace and mercy of God towards rebels. And so fellow rebels get to see this picture and get to know what God's mercy is like. These are some of the things God is doing by showing this mercy, this this unbelievable grace to Jonah. Ultimately, though, the reason that God shows mercy to Jonah, shows this unbelievable grace, shows this second chance is because God himself is merciful, right? We read about in Lamentations, God's mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. Jonah even says in chapter 4, verse 2, when he's quoting back to God, he says, O Lord, uh, I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah's theology is correct. Quoting back to Exodus, to Deuteronomy, as God reveals himself to his people, he is merciful. And so because he is merciful, he extends that mercy to Jonah, gives him this second chance at being a prophet of the Lord. The way God gives second chances, though, is different, like I said, than you and I might give it. God is not wondering if by sending his word again to Jonah, is it going to work this time or is he going to rebel, right? Like when you and I give someone another chance, we're wondering, like, what's going to happen? How's it going to turn out? God is not wondering about that, though. He knows that Jonah will obey because his knowledge is perfect. But the question then in my mind and the question in our mind should be, if God knows that sending the word of the Lord to Jonah a second time in chapter 3 is going to work, didn't he know that it wasn't going to work the first time? Didn't he know the first time that Jonah would disobey and would flee From the presence of the Lord? I would say the Bible teaches us that yes, he did know that. Yes, God knew that Jonah would flee from him, which teaches us the fact that God is still doing this and that God already knew this teaches us about God's unchanging plan. Verse 2 of chapter 3. Notice what God says again Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God says the same thing to Jonah, the same plan, arise and go to Nineveh, and is expecting different results. When you and I do that, we call that insanity, right? Doing the same thing again and expecting different results. 
But when God does it, he calls it a plan coming together. Because the reality of this text is that this is not plan B for God. This is not the word of the Lord coming a second time to Jonah is not plan B for God. God has no plan B. God's plans are unchanging. His purposes endure. We read about throughout scripture that there is no shadow of turning within him. That his son Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like we read in Ephesians 1 at the call to worship, God before the foundations of the world purposed to call people to himself in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is not plan B for God. This is not Jonah screwed up, messed things up, and God had to kind of delay his judgment on Nineveh because he's waiting for Jonah to get his act together. This is God continuing his plan. God doesn't need a plan B because he's all wise and all knowing. See, we need plans C, D, E, F, right? Because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how things are going to turn out. We're caught off guard by turns of events or by the turns of people's hearts. But God knows all these things. He is all wise, all knowing, and therefore he doesn't need a plan B. This is still then plan A for God. His plan A, think about this, his, his plan for Jonah was for the word of the Lord to come to Jonah and for Jonah to respond out of his own rebellious heart by fleeing from the word of the Lord. That means God, God's plan for Jonah included going down into the ship and going out into the ocean and having that storm blow across the ocean. And God's plan for Jonah included having Jonah being called out by these lots and exposed by these sailors and then cast into the sea. And God's plan for Jonah included being put into the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and then being spit out back onto the land. And then the word of the Lord coming again to Jonah. This is all part of God's master plan. This doesn't mean that God is pleased with the fact that Jonah rebelled. Just because this is part of the master plan does not mean that God was pleased with Jonah's rebellion. But it means that he wasn't caught off guard by it. He wasn't surprised by it. It didn't thwart his plan. God's plan remains unchanged. It seems like things might be changing with God's plan. Especially if you look at the differences between chapter 1 and chapter 3. Look at chapter 1 verse 2 again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Or chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. There's some differences in the wording there. There's one difference even that you can't necessarily see in the ESV. If you have an NIV or you have a New King James, they do translate it. But there's actually slightly different nuance in the Hebrew there when Jonah, God is calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. For example, the New King James translates verse 1 or verse 2 of chapter 1, cry out against it, right? Kind of like the ESV does. But then chapter 3, verse 2, the New King James translates, preach to it. Preach to it. And the reason is, is the the small word in verse 2 of chapter 1 implies against it. And so when God says call out, he's implying call out against it in judgment. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, the little word, says to it so he's saying call out to it which changes this the kind of nuance of that word it's the same word but it changes the nuance to be more like proclaim the proclamation or preach the message to it 
So what God is doing as he's changing a little bit of what he says to Jonah, his plan is unfolding and showing that not only is Jonah supposed to go and just proclaim judgment, but that the Lord has a message for Nineveh to call them to repentance and that the Lord is even open to their their repentance. This is starting to unfold a little bit of the Lord's plan that he might not destroy Nineveh like Jonah thinks he's going to. What this is showing us as God focuses on the why Jonah should go in verse 2, for their evil has come up before me, and as he focuses on the what Jonah ought to, ought to present to Nineveh, the message that I declare to you in chapter 3, this is showing us the unfolding of God's plan. It hasn't changed, but as it progresses through time, because we don't see the big picture all at once, it looks like maybe God is changing his mind. Maybe he's starting to soften towards Nineveh. It's not the case. He was always willing as Jonah will complain about even in chapter 4 when he complains about God's mercy. God was always willing to relent of his judgment towards Nineveh if they repent. His plan is unchanging, but it unfolds before us. And as it unfolds, we see Romans 8.28 in action. That God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is the plan that God has been working from the beginning in Jonah as he's called him to Nineveh. And it's working out for Jonah's good and for the Ninevites' good. This kind of way of working should remind us of how God works in the scriptures. Like through the story of Joseph. As he takes Joseph and has his brothers sell him off into slavery in Egypt. Because of their jealousy. And as he goes into Egypt and then rises to prominence in Potiphar's house. And it seems like everything is going great. And then he gets accused Uh, uh, he gets accused of sexual assault and then cast into prison. And then as he's in prison and he's forgotten and he's wondering when he's going to be brought up. And as he's eventually brought up into the presence of Pharaoh and rules Israel with Pharaoh and protect, or excuse me, Egypt and protects Egypt and then Israel from famine. All of that was God's unchanging plan. God's plan A, even though in the midst of it, it would seem like Man, this is really screwed up. We've got to try plan B, C, or D. All of that is God working all things together for the good of those who love him. God, as, as one commentator says, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's what we see here in Jonah as God's unchanging plan unfolds. Why does God work this way? Why would God have plan A to be the word of the Lord come to this prophet and then have him flee from the Lord and go through all this trouble And then the word of the Lord come to him again and then have him obey. Why would God work that way? I think the answer, friends, is that God is doing more than warning Nineveh of impending judgment. Right? Like on the surface, that's the word of the Lord is come, uh, arise, go to Nineveh, preach this message. But what God is doing is actually more than that. God is at work in the heart of Jonah. God is working on Jonah's heart and his work is unfinished chapter 3 verse 3 the first part of it we see jonah arose and went to nineveh according to the word of the lord just reading that sentence it doesn't seem that remarkable but if we read it in the context of jonah and if we think about it and consider the words carefully and slowly we see that what happened is that God has made a change in Jonah's heart through all of this process. This is, this is 
Jonah's surprising obedience. It's surprising because God is using the same exact words through this writer of the book of Jonah to build in us an expectation for a certain outcome. The first time we heard those words, Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, but Jonah rose... That's the same word, that's the same way of putting it in the Hebrew. The ESV translates it slightly different. So Jonah arose. Same thing though. What happened the first time? Jonah rose to flee. What happened the second time? Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah did exactly what God told him to do. And we did not expect that. Because if you like reading a a book to your children or something like that, or reading a, a poem that has repetition, those repetitions are meant to help us expect a certain outcome, right? So when you're reading through a book with your kids and you, and you pause, they can finish the sentence a lot of times because they know what's supposed to come. And what's supposed to come in our minds is Jonah arose and fled from the presence of the Lord again. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He obeys. Jonah rose and went. Why did Jonah go? What changed in him that he obeyed? Why does he obey this time when he didn't obey the last time? It's because, I believe, as we've seen in Jonah 1 and 2, that God has brought Jonah through a process of merciful judgment. Remember, we've been talking about that as we've gone through the book of Jonah, that God's judgment, we think of judgment in primarily negative terms, but that God's judgment towards his rebellious people is actually merciful because he's seeking to save them, right? And so God, bringing Jonah through this merciful process of judgment, has actually wrought change in his heart. Possibly, since he's been figuratively to hell and back in the belly of the fish, possibly he no longer fears what Nineveh can do to him, right? If he's been in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, what more could these pagan terrorists do? Their stick can still do a lot, but Jonah maybe no longer fears them. Perhaps Jonah wants to honor the oath that he made. Remember in chapter 2, at the end of his prayer, he talks about this oath. He says, chapter 2, verse 9, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Perhaps he said in the belly of the fish, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will go to Nineveh. Whatever motive Jonah has behind his obedience What's clear is that the merciful judgment of God has acted as the discipline of God in Jonah's life. And the discipline of the Lord, we saw from Hebrews 12, produces what? The peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What God has done is disciplined Jonah in his disobedience so that Jonah now obeys the word of the Lord. He has brought change in Jonah's heart. Is the mission accomplished then? Is the work done in Jonah's heart? That would be the question, right? If we just read this, we'd think maybe, right? If we just read this, we'd think maybe. But if you know what happens in chapter 4, and you know how Jonah responds to the mercy of God towards Nineveh, then you know that there's still more work to do in the heart of Jonah, right? There's still more going on. Jonah's heart is unfinished. It's both changed in some ways and unchanged in others. We must not judge just by the outward appearance, but we must judge by the whole picture. And we must rely on the judgment of the one who sees into the heart. Because we cannot. Don't discount, though, in light of that, Jonah's obedience. His obedience here is still better than rebellion. It is good that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord here. right? 
just because later he's going to complain to the Lord about his mercy and show that his obedience was outward, but that his heart was still not, still not grappling with the reality of salvation belonging to the Lord and the Lord alone. Jonah is restored as a prophet then, I think, at least in part, because God himself is not done with Jonah yet, right? God could raise up someone else and send them to Nineveh to warn them. Or God doesn't really even have to warn Nineveh. He could just destroy them. But instead, the word of the Lord mercifully comes again to Jonah in this unbelievable outpouring of grace and shows that God is still at work in Jonah and that this is not God's plan disrupted or frustrated, but that this is God's plan all along. This is God's plan unchanged. Jonah is restored because God is not done with him. But that doesn't mean that the book of Jonah is all about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about the salvation belonging to the Lord and the magnificent mercy of God towards all who will turn to him. And God is still on a mission to warn Nineveh and to call them to repentance. This is not all about Jonah. It's about God's mission to Nineveh. Notice he says in verse 2, call out against it the message that I tell you. And verse 3 says that Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. This is still God superintending all that happens for the purpose of warning Nineveh. Is God's sending Jonah to Nineveh about Jonah then? Or is it about Nineveh? That question is worth pondering because I think often we can, in our own lives, separate those two. And I don't think they ought to be separated. I don't think they need to be separated. God is magnificent and powerful and all-knowing and all-wise enough to hold these multiple purposes together. That he is sending Jonah to Nineveh to warn, Jonah, or to warn Nineveh for their good. And he is sending Jonah to Nineveh so that Jonah might learn what the mercy of the Lord is like. And come to know him better. God is weaving all of these purposes. Including his purposes to prepare his people. Israel for exile. Away from the promised land. And to prepare them to receive the Lord's mercy in the midst of exile. God holds all these paths. All these ends. All these goals together. He works all these things. Towards the purposes of his goodwill. As we read in Ephesians. To unite all things together in Christ Jesus. This is his plan. This is his purpose. And he is glorious because of it. So it's not just about Jonah. It's not just about Nineveh. It's about both. I want to focus, though, this morning, as we conclude here, our short journey through these few texts. I want to focus on what I think we see out of this about our own lives. And that's this picture in Jonah, these three verses, stand for us as a picture of how God works in the hearts of his people, which we call sanctification. Okay? These three verses are a picture for us of how God works in the midst of sanctification. Think about it. God extends his unbelievable grace to you and I. Day in and day out, his mercies are new every morning. Day in and day out, as we sometimes turn towards the Lord in joy, and sometimes turn away from Him and pursue our own happiness and our own pleasures away from Him. 
He continues day by day to show his steadfast love towards you and I. He continues day by day to extend us new chances. God is not the God of the second chance or the third chance or the fourth chance or the fifth chance or the 500th chance. Right? He's a God who day by day, if you wake up and it's a new morning, there are new mercies waiting for you and I. That's what God does in the midst of our lives. And that's why we can stumble and have a seemingly crooked road of sanctification and God does not immediately destroy us. God is gracious to us. God gives us more and more chances. The reality of this text also shows us that our failures, our failure to respond to the new mercies of God this morning, for example, is not derailing the plan of God for us. It's not derailing the work of God in your life. Your disobedience to God is used even by God to produce in you fruits of sanctification as he disciplines you with merciful judgment. Just like Jonah. As he disciplines us when we turn away from him and calls us back to himself, our hearts are worked on. And this is all part of God's unchanging plan. This is not a detour. This is the plan. We see also from this text that just like Jonah, God's work in our hearts is unfinished. We know in one sense it is finished when we think of like Ezekiel 36. And God has put a new heart in his people, right? Or we think of it as finished when we think of God has given us a new, cre- a new nature. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is true. It is finished, and yet, the entire Christian life, our walk of sanctification, is about learning to live in accordance with this new nature, right? Learning to do what we already know. Learning to walk in a way that has already been prepared for us. And so, in one sense, it is unfinished. God is still at work, just like he was in Jonah's heart. If I think about this picture of sanctification... Maybe you don't think this way. Maybe you're less cynical than me, but I kind of think this way. It seems terribly inefficient. It seems frustrating. Why would God, why not just zap Jonah in the first place and then send him to Nineveh? Why bring him through the belly of the fish, right? Or why bring him out of the belly of the fish if he's not done cooking? Leave him there a little bit longer. Let him figure it out, right? That's what I feel like. That's what it feels like to me when I think about the sanctification in my own life. Why is it so slow? Why does it feel so inefficient? If we look throughout the pages of Scripture, we see God working this way. Abraham and Sarah, he promised them a child. Guess what? They had to wait 20 years. Why? Why not just tomorrow? Or Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as a consequence of their refusal to go up into the promised land. Or Israel being in exile for 70 years as their continued rebellion against the Lord. Or consider the goals of God in the New Testament. Think about Paul in Ephesians 3, who says that he prays for the Ephesian church so that they may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why does God design us in a way that the way that happens in our lives is through reading our Bible day by day, meditating on his word, day by day, praying, day by day, spending a lifetime 
working towards that goal of knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, why doesn't he just zap, us, zap it into us like the matrix? And we can say, I know Kung Fu, right? Like, that would be much more efficient. That would be much quicker. You would think that would be to the praise of his glory, but it's not. Friends, what we see in the pattern of Jonah and what we see in the pattern of the sanctification of our own lives is that by working in this way, God is taking what is weak and showing the strength of Christ. God is showing and proving that though we are jars of clay, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, right? God is taking what looks like apparent defeat and turning it into victory. This is what he does. This is how he works. This is what, how he worked through the life of Jesus, right? Who spent 30 years learning carpentry when there was a world to save. That seems terribly like a waste of time. Just send Jesus as an adult and get it all done with, right? But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was to the praise of his glory, and as Paul puts it in Ephesians 3, so that the powers that be, the powers in the spiritual realm and the powers in the worldly realm, might see through the church the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. What we see here in Jonah is the display of the wisdom of God in taking his prophet through all of this for the sake of his own heart and for the sake of him being able to speak to Nineveh. And what we see in the cross in Jesus is the wisdom of God taking Jesus through all of this so that you and I might be conformed to his image. You see, the reason God can give us 99 chances is because jesus only needed one and so because of his cross work the new mercies that you and i encounter every morning are new the reason that our failures don't disrupt god's plan is because the cross was god's plan a to begin with so that when you you and i fail when you and i turn away from god god can take and cover that sin with the blood of christ the reason that the work in our heart still continues is because Jesus said on the cross, the work is finished. It's all done. And therefore, we can take heart knowing that the one who works in us will complete that work because he did in Jesus. See, that's why, friends, though sanctification feels slow and though sanctification feels inefficient and though it feels like not what we would choose, that crooked path, Friends, we can take heart in the midst of it and we can persevere knowing that God is still working that way, knowing that God is continuing his work and will bring it to completion. So Christians this morning, take heart. Learn to do what Jonah had to, which is to trust God, to follow him, to persevere, to consider maybe what is he trying to do in me, to remain faithful day by day, relying on his new mercies. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us great reason to hope. That though our hearts are, are weak and weary and easily discouraged... And so often we rebel just like Jonah did. 
Thank you that you have given us this picture of your of your unbelievable grace that extends out towards us every morning. Thank you that you have given us this assurance that your plan remains unchanged. God, that we cannot shake it. And thank you that you promise us that this present life and age is not the end, but that your work is being completed and will be brought to completion at the day of Christ and that when he returns, we will be with him in glory. Lord, we long for that day. We long for the work to be done and we long for the faith that's required to remain faithful and to persevere in the midst of it. So God, would you grant which only you can grant by your spirit, we pray. Amen.